Uh, if you guys can actually um, remain standing as we read God's word together this morning. Uh, the word of God comes from John chapter 3. John chapter 3, verses 31 to 36. So John chapter 3, verses 31 to 36. Verse 31, he who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son, and he has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. You guys may be seated. Joe, pray with me one more time. Uh, Father, I want to ask of you to really be with us this morning and speak to us the truth that we desperately need to hear. Lord, we do confess that oftentimes uh, we are not mindful of your word uh, as we live uh, week in and week out. Um, we don't devote ourselves into your word and spending time meditating upon the scripture, but we do confess as we come here, uh, we feel lost, we feel empty without your guidance. So we ask that you will uh, speak clearly uh, with the authority of your word, and may you, only the words that you desire to speak uh, come out through me, and we do pray that all of us will be encouraged and convicted through our time together this morning. So be with us. Uh, again this morning and lead us during this time. We love you, Lord. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, The title of today's message, if you guys are taking notes, is Jesus Above Everything. Jesus Above Everything. Uh, As we begin our time together this morning, I want us to actually revisit verse 30. We didn't read uh, that today, but we actually spent our time together last week uh, reflecting upon uh, this verse. And so if you're able to, uh, John chapter 3, verse 30, I put it up on the screen. Uh, if we can all recite this verse together as we begin our time in the Word. Um, John chapter 3, verse 30. Uh, ready, go. He must increase, but I must decrease. He must increase, but I must decrease. It's a verse that perhaps many of us are familiar with that sounds nice, but a truth that is very difficult for us to live out. Because as we saw last week, in order for Jesus to increase in our lives, we must decrease. There is no option available for us to remain great and for Jesus to increase in our lives. They are related to one another where we have to decrease in order for Jesus to increase. Now, this is completely going against our flesh because especially in the world that we're living in today, we are, barbar- we are bombarded with this Darwinism mindset, right, where only the strong can survive. So we have to strive for greatness. Uh, we need to put in the extra hours and do everything we can to increase in our lives because if we don't, we realize that someone will beat us. 
Someone will get ahead in our lives, and someone will pass us to get further and further into this path of success. This was exactly the issue that the disciples of John the Baptist were facing as he saw the crowd that once gathered around them and lined up uh, to be baptized by them, but they are now gathered around Jesus and his disciples. So they confronted John the Baptist, pretty much begging him to do something about it, because at this rate, their baptism business was about to close shop. But what's fascinating is how John the Baptist rejoiced greatly. He wasn't struggling with jealousy. He wasn't envious of Jesus' ministry. He was rejoicing greatly and was more than content to see many that used to line up under him to now go to Jesus because he was fully aware of his role, his calling, his purpose in life, as well as his identity. He was fully aware of who he was and who he was not. John the Baptist knew where he stood in life. He knew who he was not. He was not meant to be the Christ, as as some say he was. He was not the main character. He was not supposed to be at the center of the story. But rather, Jesus is indeed the Christ. He is the main character of the salvation narrative. And John desired for Jesus to be at the center of it all. This is why John didn't have a problem with telling his own disciples to stop, to stop following me and start following Jesus. Because John was fully aware that he was not the Christ. Even when people were giving him praise and credit, said, could he be the Elijah? Could he be the Christ? He says, no, I am not. But there he is. He is the Christ, Jesus, the Son of God. Go and follow after him. John the Baptist was clear that his role was to be an arrow. God had assigned for him a different role than Christ. It was to be an arrow, an instrument that points others to the Christ, to the Messiah, Jesus. To John the Baptist, Jesus was indeed his number one priority in his life. And he lived his entire life to make Jesus increase in and through his life. To make Jesus truly above everything in life. Why? Because he was well aware, not only of his own identity and who he was and who he was not, but well aware of who Jesus was. So exactly who is this Jesus and why must he increase and why must we decrease in return? And why should we place him above all, above everything? I believe looking at the structure of our passage, verse 30 serves as a hinge to the two passages before and after. Verse 30 says, He must increase, but I must decrease. John the Baptist goes into detail, verses 22 to 29, that rests upon the hinge of He must increase and I must decrease. Verse 22 to 29 talks about how John the Baptist should decrease and why he should decrease. But then in today's passage, verse 31 to 36, John the Baptist explains why Jesus must increase. So let's look at, starting at verse 31, why must Jesus increase? Or why should we place Jesus indeed above everything else in life? So our first point, Jesus above all. I believe through today's passage, John the Baptist gives us four very clear reasons, four very good descriptions regarding why we ought to place Jesus above all, why Jesus should be above everything in our lives. So first of all, We should place Jesus above all because he is from above. 
We should place Jesus above all because he is from above. Now, if you uh, look with him, verse 31 says, He who comes from above is above all. If you recall earlier in chapter 3, when Nicodemus asked Jesus, What must he do to enter into heaven? What must he do more of for him to uh, earn a kingdom everlasting, for him to earn his way into heaven? Jesus mentions to Nicodemus that he must be born again. And that word, if you remember from the original language, is not born again. Again, but to be born from above, which is the same word that is used in today's passage. What does that mean? What is that referring to? He's, uh, Jesus is saying you cannot earn your way into heaven. If you want to be born again, if you want to enter into the kingdom of God, you must be born from above, meaning it is not up to you to be born again. Jesus, who is from above, allows you and gives you the invitation and the plea for you to enter into his kingdom. Friends, this is the reason why Jesus should be above everything in our lives, because he's the one and the only one who can say that he is from heaven. Maybe some of us, in our really good days, might look heavenly, right? But at the end of the day, we come from this earth, and we will die in this earth. Jesus is the only one who can say that he is from heaven, Now, that is different than everyone else because no matter how intelligent you are, how successful you are, how powerful you are, how wealthy you are, they are only of the earth, no exceptions. For all of humanity, our origin is of the earth. But for Jesus, he is from above. He is from heaven. What's incredible is how he not only is from above, but he left all of that. He could have stayed up above. But he left all of that to come down from heaven to earth so that through his obedience and through his death on the cross, we can now enter into what is above. Friends, this is why we should place Jesus above all because no religion, no false gods would ever willingly decrease himself even if it's temporarily So that through their sacrifice, through their suffering, their followers can increase. Any other religion, any other false cults and sects, they believe that the ruler should stay above and the followers should remain below. But our God, our God everlasting, our God, our Messiah, Jesus Christ, was willing to decrease so that we can increase. That's what Jesus has done for us. And that's why we should place Jesus above all. Why? Because number one, he is from heaven. And also, we also see that he speaks the very words of God. Why should we place Jesus above all? Because he is from above. And second, he speaks the word of God. He speaks the very words of God. Verse 20, 32, it says, He bears witness to what he has seen and heard. Yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this That God is true. What does this mean? If you recall from the very beginning of the gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, capital W. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. If you guys guys joined us during that time, we we realized that the Word that John was referring to was actually Jesus Christ. Which means that Jesus, who is God himself, was with God the Father from the very beginning of creation. 
Before Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, Jesus was present with God in heaven. So Jesus is a sinning, he's, he's seen it all. He's seen with his eyes and heard with his ears the heavenly things, the things of God. And these are the very words that Jesus desires to speak and to share with people on earth. And that is the reason why he came. This is the reason why he came from heaven to earth to become God's mouthpiece, to become God's messengers, to, uh, messenger to share as his representative regarding the truth of the heavenly realms. Maybe we have heard a lot of false teachers share things of heaven. I've even heard of some pastors saying, I had a vision of heaven. I was there with God, with Jesus, with Paul, with others. And then I came back and with this message. The only one who can confess and who can honestly say he is from heaven and who can speak the very words of God in a limitless way is Christ and Christ Alone. Now, this is incredible because this actually means that the word that Jesus has spoken that are recorded in our Bibles, in the scriptures, are actually the words of God from heaven. Do you guys believe that? So when we read the Bible, when we meditate on the passages, we are exposing ourselves to the truth of the heavenly realms. We are exposing ourselves to the truth of God. But the sad reality is that more often than not, we don't treat our Bible as God's holy word. We don't seek counsel from the biblical truth. Perhaps we seek counsel from everywhere else but the living word of God. More often than not, we take what's written in the Bible as a suggestion than a command. More often than not, we like to take what's written in the Bible and tweak it in a way where we can benefit from the passages. Because ultimately, we don't desire to place God and His Word above everything. Friends, imagine with me. As we all know, the coronavirus has been spreading at an alarming rate, and we already heard the news regarding the first confirmed death in the Washington State yesterday. But suppose, just suppose that someone has found a cure. Suppose someone has found the answer, the cure, the remedy to it all. What will you do? I'm sure people are willing to go the distance, right? Right now I heard it like there's like a lack of hand sanitizers and masks because people are already buying it. Suppose someone has found a cure for that virus. What will you do? You would probably do anything and everything to go the distance to make sure that you have access to that cure. But friends, that's exactly what's happening in the spiritual state. We are all suffering from this deadly disease called sin. As a matter of fact, you are born with it. You are born with this deadly disease called sin. And if you're not willing to do anything about it, you will end up suffering eternally in hell. Yet God, by His grace, doesn't have to, but He offers us not only a cure, not only a vaccine, but He offers eternal life. He offers life everlasting. We all long for the truth, and we are desperate for answers in life, aren't we? We all long for what is the truth in life. But even though we have the truth right in front of, his, right in front of us, in the living word of God, we don't want to acknowledge. And we don't want to accept the truth because it makes us feel uncomfortable. 
There's parts of the Bible that we like, comforting, loving, welcoming. But then there's parts of the Bible that we want to skip over because they seem boring, or they seem very harsh and rebuking. It tells us that we don't belong in the center of our lives. It tells us and reminds us that we are often living a life that is not pleasing to the Lord. Friends, that's just a portion of Scripture. If you look at the Bible as a whole, it also reminds us our eternal hope in Christ Jesus. It reminds us of His grace. It reminds us of His love and His mercy. It teaches us, counsels us, rebukes us, us, leads us, and directs us to the main source of the truth, which is God and God alone. John the Baptist experienced this for himself as he immersed himself in Scripture, which is why he now sees and hears Jesus Christ in action as he sees Jesus for himself, as he experiences Jesus, as he encounters Jesus for himself, he cannot help, he cannot deny that truly he is the Christ, that truly he is someone who must be above everything. So John the Baptist, John the Baptist, he declares that Jesus must increase above everything. Why? Because he is from heaven. And second, because he speaks the very words of God and only the words of God. And third, because he has infinite anointing of the Holy Spirit. He has infinite anointing of the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? He has infinite anointing of the Holy Spirit. Verse 34, it says, For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. When we look at verse 34, we see that Jesus is able to speak, able to utter the very words of God. Why? Because God gives the Holy Spirit without measure, meaning limitless measureless, infinite amount. Now, when we look at the Old Testament, we see other people like the prophets who also act as God's messengers, who also act as God's mouthpiece, right? Like Daniel, Jeremiah, Isaiah, right? Elijah, they speak the words of God. God speaks to them, and through them, and through the work of the Holy Spirit, God speaks through them as messengers to the people. But the biggest difference between those prophets and Jesus Christ is for them, God has to allow them, God has to reveal the the truth to them first for them to share. There is an agenda of God in order to speak in them and through them to the people. But for Jesus Christ, it's limitless. Infinite amount The work of the Holy Spirit, that anointing of the Holy Spirit is infinite in his life. Friends, the work or or the role of the Holy Spirit is to be a mediator between God and his messengers. Let me say that again. The work of the Holy Spirit is to be a mediator between God and his messengers. So nowadays, anyone can be God's messengers. Even the person sitting next to you can be God's messengers and be prophets. But what we need to determine is rather if they're speaking the very things of God or if they're speaking the very things of self. There's a big difference. That's why we as pastors need to depend on the Holy Spirit and prayer as we prepare for messages Because we ought to speak the only words that God desires for us to share. Now, we all have probably experienced many times, even in this church, where 
We've heard things that we question. Is that really from the Bible? Is that really what God wants us to hear? We have to know how to determine a true prophet from a false prophet. As you guys know, the whole coronavirus in Korea erupted because of a sect or a cult where a leader of that cult genuinely believes he's the second coming of Christ. He believes he is the Messiah. And he has so many followers, over 200,000 worldwide, who believe that he is the Messiah. But man, if they, any of those followers meditate on the truth of the living word of God and compare the word of God to what he is saying, they will believe, they will realize for themselves that this dude is running this cult is a false prophet. I believe the best way for us to determine is for us to look and compare with Scripture. People who share from the Scripture and the words of God are sharing the truth, but people who are sharing what they think it is true, who share with an agenda and wanting to move and shape the church in the way that they want to move to, it's a false prophet. And sadly, there's many others who use and abuse the place of authority to share not the words of God, but their own opinions and their own thoughts about God and His Word. And friends, the sad reality is this is not happening outside the church. It's also happening in the church. And perhaps some of us have been severely hurt by that. Friends, this is why you should never simply just accept and believe everything I say on Sundays. But to always run to the scripture and compare for yourself and to see if if what I'm sharing here is the truth. But don't stop there. I would also ask for your prayers. I covet your prayers so that through the work of the Holy Spirit in my life, as I prepare to preach on Sundays for God to speak through me. Through the Holy Spirit, only the things that He desires to speak, that I will not share any of my opinions here on the pulpit, but only the truth and the words of God. Going back to our initial question, why should Jesus increase? Why should Jesus truly be above everything in our lives? Because he's from heaven. No one else can say he's from heaven. Jesus is from heaven, who speaks on on behalf of God, and he is full of the Spirit. Last but not least, we see in verse 35 that God loved Jesus. Jesus is loved and trusted by God. Jesus is loved and trusted by God. Verse 35, the Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. This is why God was able to send His Son on a mission from heaven to earth, knowing the consequences, knowing what will ultimately happen to His Son on the cross. God loved Jesus so much and He trusted His Son that He will complete the mission at all costs, even if it meant that His life was on the line. For that was the only way to rescue us. For that was the only way for each and every one of us to have hope eternal. Vice versa, Jesus was able to be obedient until the very end, even death on a cross, because Jesus was fully aware that his Father loved him. And his Father has entrusted to him this task, this call. Friends, this is the supremacy of Christ. 
This is why Jesus must increase at all cost. For he is from heaven and has full and limitless access to God. Yet because of God's great love for us, Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin on our behalf on the cross to receive the wrath that we deserve. So that in return we can reap the benefits as God's new children. So the love and the trust that God had for his son is now Offered to us. Jesus first decreased on the cross at the lowest sense on our behalf. So that through his sacrifice we can increase to be with God forever. Friends, there is no other God. If you ever have an opportunity to study religion, I would recommend, I would actually um, encourage you to do so. Because as you look at the compare, as you look and compare different religions, you begin to see how there is no other God like Jesus who would lower himself for the sake of his followers so that they can increase to the place where he was, so they can rejoice with him forever. This is why we should live a place, live to place Jesus above everything. This is why we should devote ourselves to exalt the name of Christ above all. But the sad reality of this world and in our lives is that we place anything and everything above Jesus. Although the scripture commands us, the life, the path to life everlasting and the path to true joy is to place Jesus above all. We live a a life where we place anything and everything Above Jesus. And that's our point number two. Any above Jesus. Anything and everything above Jesus. For some of us, it's our careers. We graduated not too long ago, and our career is taking off. We're making six figures. We're making a lot of money. Life is good. For others, it's our family. Our desire for a future family. For some, it's our desire for success, for comfort, for pleasure, for security. We can make a list of top ten things that are most important to us right now. If I were to ask you guys to pull out a sheet of paper and write down the ten most important things in your life right now and be honest about it, I wonder how many of us have Jesus at the top of that list. Now, if I can guarantee, I, I'm, I'm willing to bet that there's many of us where Jesus doesn't even make it to the top ten. Why is that? Ultimately, I believe it's because we haven't fully experienced, we haven't fully experienced the joy of believing and submitting to Jesus Christ. Look with me in verse 36. The entire chapter 3 could be summarized into this one verse, as it is written in verse 36. Whoever believes in the Son, meaning whoever believes in Jesus Christ, has eternal life, but whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Friends, what's really interesting about verse 36 is how the verse starts off, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But there's a second phrase, second section, the verb changes. You guys notice that? Logically, you would think whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not believe the Son shall not see life. But what does it say? It says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever does not obey shall not see life. So that what's that, what's that referring to? 
Friends, to believe is to obey. And to disobey is to not believe. They are connected and they go hand in hand. This verse gets to the heart of the issue, doesn't it? There are many in the church who say with their lips, who give lip service to God, saying, I believe in you, Jesus. I believe that you are the Son of God. Yet they fail to obey His word and His commands. Many in the church who have been attending church for as long as they can remember, who have been baptized and confirmed, who have recited the sinner's prayer, they believe that Jesus, they believe that they're Christians, they believe that Jesus is the Son of God, they believe in all the things that are written in the Bible, and they believe they are followers of God. But if we take a really good hard look into our lives, into our lifestyles, into our life decisions, You don't really see a life of obedience to God's word. Friends, what verse 36 is reminding us today is that you cannot say you believe if you don't obey. If you're not obeying the words of God, you cannot say that you're a believer. To believe is to obey, which means if you're not living a life of obedience to Jesus Christ, ultimately that means you you don't believe in him. You've been living a life of False. Life of lies, lying to yourself, they say you you believe. If you genuinely want to know if you're a follower of Christ or not, if you want to know if the person sitting next to you is a Christian or not, evaluate their lifestyle and their life decisions. I'm not saying we should be legalistic here, but if you genuinely believe that Jesus has died for your sin, then it should lead you, the result should be out of an overflow of thankfulness, you can't help but to obey the Son. Friends, unbelief in the deepest sense is defiance. Defiance against God and defiance against Jesus Christ. It's a rebellion to God's plea. It's a, it's a, it's a rebellion to God's invitation to eternal life. So it all goes back to the concept in verse 30. We like the fact that Jesus must increase, but we cannot accept the fact that Jesus increasing comes at the price of us decreasing. We like the concept of Jesus, but we don't love him enough to submit to him and obey his every word. We like bits and pieces of what's written in the Bible and his promises was not the whole thing. And this transitions even to our relationship with God. We often have this mentality of only wanting to benefit from Him without actually committing. If I can be a little bit more harsh, a lot of us have this dating philosophy, right? this secular, worldly view of dating. We only want to reap the benefits of marriage without actually committing. Right? That's why there are so many extramarital affairs right now. Why? Because we want to reap the benefits of what marriage has to offer, but without actually committing. The same goes for our relationship with God. If you feel that way, if you have ever treated God in that way, I I got news for you. If you say you believe in Jesus, but there's portions of your life that are disobedient. If you say you are a follower of Christ, that you believe in Jesus as the Son of God, yet... You cannot say that you're obedient to his word. That means you don't believe in Jesus. 
when we end up, after we die, he will say, I never knew you. So then what is God planning to do with all these disobedient people? God is aware of many, many disobedient people here on earth and even in the church. What is he going to do with all these disobedient people? Friends, let me ask you a question. Do you think God was aware? Do you think God knew that Jesus was going to be rejected by so many people and ultimately be killed and by being nailed on the cross before God sent Jesus to earth? Do you think God knew that beforehand? Do you think God knew that even after Jesus' death, that people were still going to live a life of disobedience? Do you, think Jesus, do you think God was fully aware that Jesus' death on the cross was not going to stop people from continually sinning? Friends, this is the very reason that God sent Jesus to die on the cross. Because he knew, he was aware that this was the only way to rescue us. Despite our rebellion, despite our defiance, this was the only way to deliver us from wrath to eternal life. God desires for each and every one of us to enter into his kingdom, to rejoice with them in heaven. But in order to do that, we must decrease. Meaning we must submit to his authority, we must submit to his word to believe that he must indeed increase in our lives. God makes it very clear. If you believe and obey, we will be rescued from his wrath and the penalty of our sin. But if you do not believe and if you do not obey, then there is no hope as the wrath of God remains. One more thing I want to point out. If you look at the end of verse 36, it says the wrath of God remains. Meaning the wrath of God as sinners, right? We are born as sinners. The wrath of God is for sinners. So even as we are born as sinners, the wrath of God remains. That is what we deserve from the day of our birth due to our sin. And the only way to get away from that is for Jesus to rescue us and for us to believe and to obey his word. Friends, how can we then fight our disobedient tendencies? How can we overcome our defiance? I believe the secret to obedience is learning to lose. Let me say that again. I know we hate hearing this word, but how can we overcome our disobedient tendencies? The secret to obedience is learning to lose. Now, for those who are very competitive about, about everything in life like me, it goes completely against our philosophy to lose in anything. But when it comes to our personal relationship with God, when it comes to our relationship with Jesus Christ, we need to learn how to lose. Some of us actually think we can fight against God, that we can put up a fight. We can live against his will. We can compete with Jesus Christ. This is why it's hard for us to accept the fact that he must increase and I must decrease. Because we actually think we have a shot. Once we begin to lose to Jesus, meaning once we begin to surrender, once we begin to submit then and only then will we begin to see that this is the only way to eternal life and this is the way to true everlasting joy. Losing to Jesus is the key to eternal life. If you genuinely want to win in life, you need to lose to Christ. 
That's my take on verse 30. I know many of us don't like the word losing, but as we surrender, as we allow God to take over our lives, as we submit under His authority, then and only then will we begin to realize how much better, how much greater of a life He has in store for us in heaven. Friends, what are some things that you place above Jesus in your life? If there is anything that you treasure above Jesus, let's ask God to help us to place him above everything. For some of us, um, our relationship issues, financial issues, future worries, anxieties, I'm not saying they're not important, but Scripture reminds us to bring all of those worries and fears unto Him, to cast all our anxieties unto Him, meaning we need to submit to His will and make Him first, make Him above all. Uh, as I thought about John the Baptist, uh, he placed Jesus above everything in his life. Um, it's such a great example for us to resemble. Maybe some of us have those people in our lives. For, someone, for, us, for some of us to look up to, for spiritual counsel. Man, I really want to be like that person. Um, as I was meditating upon John the Baptist, I was reminded of this uh, old Korean lady who was part of the church that I used to attend in college. Now, um, no one really knew her by name. We would just call her Chipsanim, which is, uh, means deacon in Korean. <laughs> uh, or someone called her Miss Kim. <laughs> It's her, like it's her last name is Kim. But she was someone that truly lived a life wholly committed to placing Jesus above everything. She didn't get married. She didn't have any kids. But her greatest groom, her husband, was Jesus Christ. And she couldn't wait for the day for her to meet with Jesus and to be with him for eternity in heaven. She didn't have any kids, but she had many spiritual children, and she looked over tens and thousands of college students who would go through that church, myself included. And she would dedicate every moment of her every day praying for as many people as she could. She would ask for pictures of us. So she would pray for us, looking at the picture, rubbing the faces of the picture, and praying for us by name. Even after I left college, I would run into her in conferences and retreats like Jajan and Oil. I'm sure some of you guys have met her. She would always remind me that she's been praying for me. And she says, welcome home. Even just this past Oil in January, I met her and I introduced uh, Lydia to her. She, as soon as she saw her, she prayed for Lydia. And she says, happy new year, reminding me uh, not only the difficulties of ministry, but reminding me that she's been praying for us. Um, Yesterday, in the middle of preparing the message, I, I received a message saying that she passed away. And, you know, initially I was so shocked because, like, she was probably, like, 80 years old. We don't really know how old she is, but she's so old, so frail, but it seems as though she was going to live forever. But the more um, I meditated upon today's passage and thought about her life, I could honestly say that... Um, she was somebody who gave everything that she had in life to place Jesus above everything. To make sure that Jesus was number one in her life. Not herself, not anybody else, no other desires, but to have Jesus 
and his kingdom and his mission be the number one thing in her life. And I don't know about you guys, but I can honestly say that Jesus is not always above everything in my life. There's times where I place myself above Jesus. There's times where I place my family above Jesus, where I place my desire for pleasure, for rest above Jesus. But people like her encourages me. And people like John the Baptist, people in the scripture reminds me and encourages me the path to eternal life, the path to joy everlasting is to place Jesus above everything. And I pray that we will be a church that encourages each, uh, each and every one, encourages each other to do the same. Rather uh, than discouraging each other, um, you know, I am guilty of this as well as we you know, make fun of each other with put-downs. Um, I pray that we will be a church that is obedient to Christ. And rather than bringing others down to increase ourselves, rather than trying to compete with each other, I pray that we will be a church, Grace Fellowship will be a church that helps each other to live a life, to put Jesus above all as we submit and obey His every word. It's not a competition. We're all part of the same team. When was the last time you prayed for each other in this church? When was the last time you genuinely cried out for each other, asking God to have mercy upon them, asking God to rescue them from their life of sin? I pray that we will be a church that genuinely cares for each other, that genuinely loves each other enough to get on our knees and beg and cry out for God to work in their lives. Let's pray together. As we, do, as we pray, can we just do that? Let's pray for just even one person in this church. Let's pray for even those who couldn't come today. Let's pray for as many people as we can by name, asking God, God, won't you allow them to have you reign over their lives? Maybe we need to pray for ourselves first and foremost for some of us. And God, you know the life that I've been living. You know how much I have been placing myself above you in every aspect. Won't you help me to dethrone myself? Won't you help me to place myself out of that chair so that you can reign, so that I can place you above everything? Um, let's, pray th- let's spend a minute or so in prayer, and then uh, I'll just close for us. Let's pray together.